We the people. Four score and I seven. have a dream. Ask what you tear down this wall. Which will live in infamy. Read my lips. Welcome to Civic Symphony. In this episode, we're going to examine the creation of the United States Constitution, the Virginia Plan versus the New Jersey Plan, and the role that George Washington and the other forefathers played in creating the Constitution and then getting it successfully approved. So let's begin with some historical context. By 1787, the United States government, American democracy, was basically falling apart at the seams. The rebellion, Shays Rebellion, uh, proved that the common people had had enough and didn't feel like that they should be taxed for the American Revolution. Each state was starting to print its own money, which was quickly becoming devalued and not worth anything. And finally, the federal government had shown that they had really no power to make the states pay off the debt that had been incurred in the American Revolution. So there was a need for a restructuring of government. Now, the controversy at the time was this. The Articles of Confederation only could act if all 13 states amended them. A, a law could be passed if nine of the 13 passed the law, but it took all 13 to amend the Articles of Confederation. So the question became, if they did have a constitutional convention, would it be legal and would it override the Articles of Confederation? Now, George Washington, uh, James Madison, they realized that something needed to be done before American democracy fell apart. And so they called, not Washington actually, but there was a call for a constitutional convention in Philadelphia to consider what should be done about the Articles of Confederation. Some of the delegates truly thought they were simply going to amend the articles and make, a, make the federal government stronger. However, there was a group led by Jane Madison that decided that the articles needed to be scrapped and a completely new constitution be created. Madison certainly knew this. That in order to get anything done, to get anything passed, he was going to need George Washington to attend the convention. Now, we need to look at the role of Washington in 1787. By that time, George Washington was perhaps the most famous man in the world, if not at least the United States. The power that his presence had was undeniable. And Madison knew he had to be there and knew he had to get him there and constantly wrote letters to get him to come to the convention. Now, early on, Washington said he would not be there, that he had retired from public office, that he had basically told Martha he was done. But eventually people wear him down to the point that he is convinced he has to go to the convention. And all you need to know about George Washington's influence and power is this. Robert Morse, who was at that time the richest man in the United States, gave his house over to George Washington, and George Washington will be unanimously elected as the president of the convention. That's all you need to know. And that's why I tell people George Washington is the greatest of all time. They, you can rank presidents all you want, but George Washington is number one in terms of what he did and the influence he had. And that will show at the Constitutional Convention. Now, the Virginia delegates get there first, and this gives them the chance to lay the groundwork over what they want to do. And then they will present the Virginia plan. And the Virginia plan worked this way. It would abolish the Articles of Confederation. 
and it would set up three branches of government. The first part being the executive branch, and there would be two houses. Now, the first house would be the upper house, and the the terms for the upper house would either be life or for a very long period of time. The lower house would be, uh, those representatives would be elected every two years. Now, the catch was this, that it was going to be based, both houses based on population. This would end up panicking or worrying the little states, which we will come to when we get to the New Jersey plan. Okay, the second branch of government would be an executive branch. Madison did not really have all the details of it. Uh, in fact, the actual term for the executive branch leader was going to be the governor general. Obviously, that was later on changed. And then finally, there would be a judicial branch uh, to balance out the three branches of government and check and balances on each branch for the other one. So that was the Virginia plan that was put forth by James Madison and the other Virginia delegates. Now, again, the little states get worried because it's based upon population and they did not like that. So if you were New Jersey or you were Maryland, you immediately realized you were going to be losing the power that you had under the Articles of Confederation. And just for the record here, uh, there's only 12 states that ever show up. Rhode Island refuses to come because they felt like that their power was certainly going to be reduced, which on the Virginia plan it would have. Okay, so we're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll come back and discuss the New Jersey plan and what is known as the Great Compromise uh, or the Sherman's Compromise or the Connecticut Compromise, three different names it's given. And then we'll see the role that the, the forefathers are going to play in actually getting this approved. And we'll talk about uh, the Article One, which creates the legislative branch. We will be right back. So let's talk about the New Jersey plan. The New Jersey plan was put forth by the little states, uh, obviously New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, and it proposed also three branches of the government, a legislative, an executive, and a judicial. The catch was that under the New Jersey plan, the legislative branch would only have one house and that each state would have the same amount of votes in that house. And obviously the idea was to protect the little states. The big states were never going to approve this. They wanted it based upon population. Therefore, they maintained the power that, that they felt like they should have. So enters Roger Sherman, and he is from Connecticut, and he is going to propose what we know as the Connecticut Compromise or the Great Compromise. And it worked this way that each uh, there would be three branches, but in the legislature, there would be two houses. However, here was the catch. One house would be known as the upper house, and its power would be based upon equal representation. The lower house, which would become the, the House of Representatives, would be based upon population. Now, this balanced out the big states and the little states. And then eventually they will pass the executive branch and not call it the governor general. They will they will change that letter. And then eventually the judicial branch. This is what leaves the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. Now, 
what you have to understand about the, the passage of this is they only required nine of the 13 states to pass it, not 13 of the 13, as was originally put forth in Articles of Confederation. So just nine of the 13 had to pass it, and they felt like that that was pretty good odds. Also, the power of the men at that convention was incredible. You have James Madison, John Jay, Henry Knox, Ben Franklin, and obviously George Washington. Thomas Jefferson is not there. He, he's over in uh, France. Um, so he's not there. But the, the power of the people in that room was incredible. They were, they were part of the American Revolution. They had set up state governments. And so when they passed this, a lot of common citizens thought, OK, this is something that obviously has a lot of thought to it. It obviously, they felt like it would work. It would save American democracy. And therefore, as the Constitution gets passed state to state and they have the conventions, it was finally ratified. And Article 1, which sets up the legislative branch, we're just going to have a real quick overview. Uh, Again, there's two houses. Um, The Senate is the upper house. The people in the Senate will serve for six years. Now, originally, uh, James Madison wanted it to be life, but then it was pulled back to six years. They will uh, have, again, control of the upper house and equal representation. The lower house, which we call the House of Representatives, will be based purely on, on population, and they will serve for two years. So that part was structured to, to balance out what was the little and, and the big states. Now, they would later determine, for example, uh, what age you have to be to be a representative, what age you have to be to be a senator, the salary of the senators, the powers of the senators in the House of Representatives. All that would have to be worked through. And we are going to talk about that in a future episode. But the the big thing to understand is that the United States government is based upon compromise. And most people don't think of that way. But in its formation, in the way the branches have to work together, in the way that the Senate and the House have to work together, and then the president overseeing the Senate and the House and executing the laws, all of that is based upon compromise, which is truly the beauty of American government, is that everyone has to be in on it in order for it to function. Okay, when we come back, the next segment, a segment a lot of people like, Weird Laws of the United States. And we'll be right back. Weird Laws of the United States. I arrest you in the name of the law. In this episode, we're going to talk about the great state of Missouri. So there's a law in Missouri that says that four women uh, may not rent an apartment together. Now, again, you always have to go back and put historical context to, to weird laws. This law gets its basis in uh, brothel prostitution. At the time it was passed, it was believed that if four women were sharing an apartment together, a house together, that the odds are there was some brothel prostitution occurring and that that needed to be stopped. So the law was passed to eliminate 
the four women from sharing the same apartment. Uh, the catch was, and this was Missouri was not only or was not the only state to pass such a law, uh, but the, the catch was that, that the the law enforcement had to prove that brothel brothel prostitution was actually occurring. Um, once they did that, they could enforce the law. Obviously, today it's no longer enforced. Uh, if if it was enforced, there'd be a lot of uh, women in college that, that couldn't afford to go there because they stay in dorms and, and rent apartments. But again, at the time, it was a serious concern of not only the people in Missouri, but in several other states. Okay, so uh, we got one more se- segment to do, and we'll be right back. going to wrap up this episode of Civic Symphony. Hopefully you learned a little bit more about the Constitution and the men that created it. As always, I need to thank Jason Shaw and the people at Audionautic for providing the music. If you have a question, uh, please send it. I'll do my best to answer it. If you have a comment, good or bad, feel free to express that. Hopefully you'll be back next time as we learn more about the civics that make up America. Thanks for listening.